0: There's a wisdom and in indigeneity that is inherent to this land and in our DNA and in this land's DNA. We as Native people, as we are rediscovering our language, our culture, our values, where we're relearning and rebuilding, not only are we going to have the growth capacity for us to take care of ourselves and heal ourselves, but those, lessons, those are the same lessons that are going to heal this world. The wisdom, the power, the strength of our people is going to lead to the success of not only our nations, but our, our neighbors as well.
1: Bonjour, hello, welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem.
2: And I'm your other host, Cole Primo. Miigwech for joining us today. Native Lights is, at its core, a place for Native folks to tell their stories. Every week we have wonderful conversations with great guests from a whole lot of different backgrounds. These are policymakers, healers, artists, entrepreneurs, you name it. We talk to them about their gifts and how they share those gifts with their community. And it all centers around this big point of purpose in our lives and, uh, you know, can't wait to continue doing that. Uh, so, Leah.
1: That's right.
2: How you doing? What's going on?
1: I am well. Thank you very much. This month, I'm heading out to Boston, to MIT, actually, my alma mater. Yeah. To hang out and uh, visit the Indigenous Earth Day Summit at MIT. I'm really excited um, to go to that And I, you know, when I was there, I didn't really participate in a lot of uh, indigenous or native community stuff because, honestly, there wasn't a ton there. But just down the road, though, um, luckily my senior year in college, I did have the opportunity to cross-register at Harvard University where I took Native Americans in the 21st century nation-building one and two. And if that's accurate, I will <laughs> celebrate <laughs> my memory. I think that's pretty close uh, with the amazing and intelligent uh, Professor Joseph Kult, and that's uh, at the Kennedy School of Government, uh, was a part of the Harvard project, which is not unrelated to what we're going to be talking about today.
2: Yeah, so today we're speaking with Wayne Ducheneau, a Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe citizen, who is the executive director of the Native Governance Center. It is a native-led nonprofit that assists tribes in Minnesota and the Dakotas with strengthening their governance systems and capacity to exercise sovereignty. So I can't wait to dig into more of that with Wayne and just, you know, hear more about him. And here he is. Buju Wayne, could you please introduce yourself uh, and, you know, where you're joining us from?
0: Yeah. Uh, hello, my relatives. I greet you all with a good heart and a handshake. My name is Wayne Duchino Executive Director of Native Governance Center, and I'm calling in from the homelands of the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe in north-central South Dakota.
2: Nice. Um, so how are you and your family doing during the pandemic? It's something we like to ask every time.
0: You know, um, I hope this doesn't sound horrible but I will forever be grateful to COVID-19. It's allowed me a couple different things that I don't think I would have got had there not been a global pandemic that shut the world down. Um, the first thing is uh, I've had two children born during the pandemic. I heard if you uh, had a kid, got an air fryer and what was the third one? There's a third thing. If you did all three of those, you won the pandemic. <clears throat> well, I got an air fryer and had two kids. Oh, I did not get a new pet. So, um, But I figured... A new pet was the alternative. one. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. There you go.
0: And so um, being home with the pandemic has allowed me to not only see my two older kids grow up a little bit more than I would have normally, but I got to see so much first with my two babies. Uh, First words, first steps, all those type of things that, you know, uh, for the first two kids, I was watching videos or Snapchats of them recorded doing it. And then the second Mm -hmm. thing was we took Native Governance Center full remote as an organization in the middle of June-ish, as we kind of, as a leadership team, came together and made that decision, uh, pitched it to the board. The board supported it. Still didn't intend to move home because we thought the pandemic was going to end in just a few months. And then we got to my um, August board meeting of 2020, and it looked like it was going to stick around for a while. So I asked my board if I could move home back to the rest, and they all agreed to let me move home. So uh, I don't think it'd been for the pandemic. I would have missed a lot of things my kids did growing up and I'd still be living in West St. Paul, Minnesota. Other than that, we're good. Uh, Babies are healthy. A wife is enjoying being home closer to family. She was working at Target, so she misses her job and her work friends. But um, yeah, and I miss my coworkers being in the office with them day to day. But other than that, really no complaints. So
1: before we get into, you know, the more pointed questions, can you just give us like a really brief overview of Native Governance Center? We did it at the top, Cole and I did, um, but maybe in your own words, but how would you describe Native Governance Center?
0: So we, yeah, we are a, uh, we are a Native-led nonprofit organization whose work is centered around helping tribes grow their capacity to exercise sovereignty. We do that in three different buckets right now. Uh, First and foremost is our direct tribal governance support that sees us uh, reach out to elected leaders and folks that they put us in touch with amongst the 23 Native nations in Minnesota, North Dakota, and South Dakota, uh, identify with them issues around governance and leadership that they're facing, and then bring our resources to bear, whether it's our in-house expertise, our network of content partners, or our ability to do some small regrants if tribes are already working on nation-rebuilding projects, um, and really, you know, our work for the last six years has been informed by community, right? So we have done two Native Nation listening tours where it saw us go out to all these tribes, sit down with elected leaders and other folks and ask them, what issues are you facing? Because our, our work is only as relevant as the issues that they're facing. And so we, we're, we're, we've we we grown a very nimble organization that can take on things as they come Uh, Our next bucket of work is our leadership work. So the flagship program being the Native Nation Rebuilders Program, Uh, currently in our 12th cohort. We've trained right at around 200 Native Nation Rebuilders across the 23 nations. Um, And really what the Rebuilders Program is all about is taking already established or aspiring leaders and giving them just a few more uh, tools for their leadership toolbox, while also connecting them in a network of like-minded individuals wanting to do good for their community. Uh, really exciting program, really a lot of fun. Our last uh, bucket of programming is around community engagement and education, which sees us understanding that our work doesn't live in a vacuum. And we have to make sure as a nonprofit organization, those outside of Indian country understand our work and the importance of it. Um, there's, you know, been some recent studies of philanthropy, and it's some minuscule fraction around 0.02 or less percent of all philanthropic dollars go to Native-led organizations. And then if you carve into that, a fraction, fraction, fraction less goes into Native organizations doing tribal governance and leadership, right? And so without helping the broader public understand what's the importance of tribal sovereignty, what's the importance of good governance, what's the importance of good Native leadership, our work would go unfunded and under-resourced. And so uh, that's our third bucket of work is And we try to pick topics and do community education events open to everyone around everything from how to talk about Native nations to uh, why treaties matter to our latest one was around blood quantum and sovereignty and helping people kind of grasp that complex subject. So that's our three buckets of work. And like I said, we've been doing it for a little over six years.
1: That's really great. I know. A Native Governance Center is one of the links that I send to people most often when they have questions about what is sovereignty, what is a land acknowledgment uh, and those related topics that um Native Governance Center does such a great job of expanding on, summarizing and then expanding on. So that's been a great resource. Got to say. We
0: appreciate it. <laughs> we get we get a lot of feedback from folks too about our land acknowledgment guides and like it seems like less and less people are being asked, like straight out, write us a land acknowledgement. Right? People are understanding that you know there's some work to do if you're a non-native person around that subject. And so, I know our resource there has been helpful as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And just for you know, kind of another bit of overview, since what Native Governance Center does is very deep and wide uh, with the work. Can you? I, I hear the words nation rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Um, again and again. And can you just give us, a, I know we could probably link to uh, Native Governance Center's uh, info page or info video, but can you say just a bit on what nation rebuilding is? I
0: sure can. So Native Nation Rebuilding is a concept derived from the Harvard Project on American Indian Economic Development. They've devoted, I think, close to 15 years of research. And it all was born of and this is a loving term, so I apologize if it seems coarse, but two geeky white guys at Harvard, Steve Colt and Joe Cornell, uh economists and a sociologist. Opposite. Yeah.
1: Sorry, Jose, Joseph Colt and Steve Cornell.
0: Was that what I said? I said you Steve Colt,
1: said- Joe Cornell. Oh yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Joe Colt and Stephen Cornell. Um, and there are these two geeky white guys who were sitting around, um, wondering why some tribes were more successful than others. Uh, As they were having this discussion, they really quickly realized they needed to connect with a native person because they had this idea to do this research project. And they reached out to a gentleman by the name of Manley Begay, and thus began the Harvard Project on American Indian Economic Development. Their main thought going into it was that it had to be something about tribal economies they very quickly learned through the research that it had very little to do with economy and had everything to do with governance. Um, As they compiled the research, boiled it down and synthesized it, it came up to these five different native nation rebuilding principles. And what the research says is those tribes that exemplify these five things are oftentimes most most, uh, successful. They are Having spirited leadership, so that is people in community who can recognize issues that they're facing and bring the people through and to the change. It's having capable governing institutions, so uh, leaders are only as strong sometimes as the systems they're in. So when we think about capable governing institutions, it's everything from your fundamental documents like your constitutions to your bureaucracy and your laws and your policies and procedures. Those tribes that are oftentimes most successful also have a strategic orientation. So instead of focusing on the day-to-day, they're thinking and putting themselves in that seventh generation mindset and thinking out seven generations ahead. Um, And we're all familiar as Native people, right, with that concept of seventh generation. It's very culturally ingrained in us. So then the fourth principle is cultural match, which sees tribes uh, who understand their history and where they came from. And the systems with which they had in place that governed themselves for time immemorial, and they bring those things forward in a modern expression of government and governance. Uh, those tribes that do that are oftentimes most successful. And all four of those things kind of melded together, put in this mishmash, all to practically exercise your sovereignty, right? And so sovereignty is a thing oftentimes people think it's just about uh, protecting, right? And so there's a great uh, uh Tanaha Nation uh former chief who she would talk about sovereignty as the shield, right? People think it's this shield to protect yourself. Um, when in fact, really what a shield is, is a weapon of war. And if we're not wielding our sovereignty, if we're not throwing our shield around and getting it dented and bumped and bruised, uh, we're, we're, we're doing our sovereignty a disservice. So the, the fifth principle is exercising sovereignty. Um, and so that's kind of in a nutshell, Native Nation rebuilding the, the principles, there's also, uh, when we talk about Native Nation rebuilding, two different approaches to governance that they found. One is the standard approach. So, think about how uh, sometimes our tribal governments are, you know, racked with doing things the quick fix, the uh, shotgun approach to grant making instead of focusing and strategizing versus the nation rebuilding approach. That's using those five principles to make sure you're ensuring that your people are represented very well. So, that's the standard approach and the nation rebuilding approach
1: hmm Yeah, so the the building a foundation of legitimacy, authenticity, um, as opposed to like reactionary bandages um when it comes to governance. And that's really great. I know um I had Professor Cult as a instructor as a professor for a year, um back in 03, 04. <sighs> so quite a while ago, but it was really exciting to, to hear what they were working on.
2: You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Wayne Ducheneau, a Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe citizen who is the Executive Director of the Native Governance Center.
1: Wayne, how about you? What is at the top of your mind right now with work or anything related to
0: you? Yeah. Uh, You know, one of the things that over the years people have helped me understand the need to focus on are a few things like uh, the importance of self-care and leadership and the importance of taking time to build in space to be intentional and reflective, right? And so with the self-care piece, it's one of those things... Uh, a little bit about me. So before I came to Native Native Governance Center, I worked the majority of my professional career for my tribe. I was the general manager of our hotel enterprise. When I say hotel enterprise, it's just a really fancy way of saying 40-room motel in Eagle Butte, South Dakota. But enterprise on your resume looks really good. I was then the tribe's administrative officer. So think executive director, where I oversaw 70-plus programs and 500-plus employees for a a two-and-a-half-year stint. And then just previous to joining Native Governance Center, I served just under four years on our tribal council, uh, two as the tribal vice chair. Um, And so when you were in all of those different roles at home, I very rarely took a break to take care of myself. I think I was a little bit younger when I was doing those things. I didn't have a wife and kids at the time either. So I had this mindset that work was my life and I would throw myself into it. I can't tell you how many times, uh, even at the motel, I would start my work day at six in the morning, run the motel, catching up books when I first got there, um, well to eight or nine uh, o'clock at night. There were a couple different times when folks didn't uh, show up for work and I would work 24 hours straight cause I would have to cover the front desk and other people couldn't make it in. Um, our tribal secretary, Ivan Whitefeather, would tell you this cool story where after one of those particular 24-hour shifts, she called me for some information on the motel. And then I didn't remember having the conversation with her. She got the information she needed, but I didn't <laughs> recollect because I was so tired. Um, and so oh, oftentimes in my career, uh, I didn't understand that importance, that importance of taking time to take care of yourself to make sure you can take care of others. And really, that's uh Staff people we've had throughout the years, rebuilders have really helped me to understand that, you know, we have to take care of ourselves in today's day and age, especially um, with all the challenges that we're facing as Native people. There's always so much. And I think the pandemic also laid some of that stuff bare, right? Uh, I can't tell you how many friends, relatives have now walked on, you know, so many that I kept quit keeping track. And With the pandemic not allowing us to come together to grieve, making sure I took time to find space to do things I needed to do to grieve became really important to me. Um, And I think without taking that time and making that space, uh, I probably wouldn't be able to chat with you today because I would be um, in deep, deep counseling. Uh, The other thing I I mentioned that I think I didn't quite understand was the, the time to be intentional and have reflection. So it's one of those things when Native Government Center, when we really started designing our pro, our own designing and delivering our own programming in the last couple of years, that my fantastic staff said, you know, we need to build time in for reflection. Uh, we're doing this Indigenous Leaders and in Governance training, and you know, tribal leaders need to take time. They need to sit with things. They need to think about it. And I'm like, no tribal leader is going to want to do that. We just have to get in and talk with them, talk about it, and then you know, make sure they have things to follow up on. And to my very pleasant surprise as we intentionally built into that that time to reflect. Tribal leaders began soaking in information in new ways and shapes that, uh, if I'm being quite honest, they hadn't in the region up until then. And so it's one of those things that oftentimes, I think in the hurry of the Western world, we don't take time to be intentional. And I think that's something that I've really learned in the last couple of years is making sure that you build that type of time.
1: So is that something you you support well i take it that you do but how do you as an executive director then support time for reflection and self-care time for staff
0: we uh do it through a number of ways uh one of the coolest things that we did uh very early on in the pandemic is from about march when we first went remote till like nearly september uh we told folks you're gonna work half time for full-time pay. And so the minimum requirement for us became you only have to work 20 hours. If you want to work more than 20 hours to do things, that's fine. Do what you need to do. But we really made sure to be intentional that folks built in time to take care of themselves and their families during the pandemic. We also have a very robust benefits package Uh, we're hiring right now. So maybe this is a good thing to get out into the airways um, that includes... Uh, 25 paid holiday or paid pay time off, a, a totally encompassing of you know sick and another leave, but then we also built in 10 flexible holidays so that you can pick your holidays. You don't have to go with the nine federally recognized. Uh, we have time built into our policies if folks need to to go to ceremony and do those type of things. And so we're really intentional. One of the one of my main focuses as executive director is to make sure that. In the nonprofit sector in particular, right, we're not able to match salaries oftentimes if, as the, as our for-profit counterparts. And so what are those things that aren't uh, dollars out the door that we can give to people to make sure that they have uh, everything they need, resources other than money to make sure they're taking care of themselves? And so those are the type of things we do. We also believe uh, very strongly in providing professional development opportunities for employees, making sure that. Not only are we building the skills that they need to work within our organization as best as possible, but how do we build skills to make sure they're well-rounded individuals? Uh, That's another thing in the nonprofit world. People generally cycle through uh, in a small org like ours where there's not a a lot of room for uh, upward mobility every three to five years, you know, and five is stretching it. Oftentimes it's three years and, and change. And so, you know, how can we make sure that we are setting people up for success not only within our work? but outside of our work then when they decide to move on.
2: What led you, you know, down this path? Uh, how, how did you get into this line of work? You talked about you know, working like, 24-7. Like, obviously, you have like, a drive uh, to work. Like, where does it all come from? What led you down that path?
0: The two biggest influence in my life is going to be probably the same as a lot of other folks, but it's my parents, right? So my, my father and my mother. My mom, uh, Regina Ducheneau was the heart and soul of our family. And I think from her, the biggest gift I got is the understanding to need to be patient and kind with people. Uh, There's a Christian value in turning the other cheek. And I can't tell you how many times growing up, especially, and I'll get, my dad was a a politician, a tribal chairman, a tribal council rep, right? Uh, But I can't tell you how many times Growing up, I was teased or made fun of or what have you for being in the family that I was. And I would come home and my mom would say, you just got to be kind to people, Wayne. And so that's kind of one of the things that's really stuck with me uh, throughout my life is influence for my mom. And then my passion for tribal governance and leadership is definitely born of my dad and that side of our family. My dad was a two-time chairman of our tribe on our tribal council, a former president of the National Congress of American Indians. And he rounded out his professional career as the executive director of our housing authority for almost 15 years. And so he taught us kids from a very early age concepts and ideals around servant leadership, right? You are a person, if if you are lucky enough to be chosen by people to be put in leadership positions, understanding that it's coming from a servant nature. Um, I I can't tell you how many times we would be at a meal, a community feed, a community meal. We were there early to help set up. We were there late to help tear down. You always made sure everybody else went through the food line first and got food before you dished up. Um, and, and then you put in the work. And I suppose that you know, many hours of work, I used to work when I was a tribal administrator. That's where I got that. I One of the stories, my favorite stories about my dad is one of the most heart-wrenching ones that when he was chairman in from 86 to 90, my brother Guth graduated high school in 1990. And dad had to be gone at his high school graduation. And so, of course, this is well before the time of Internet and Facebook and, you know, live uh, going lives to watch things. And so my dad wrote a two and a half page letter to my brother explaining him the ideals of service, the ideals of having to be there um, for the people, sometimes at the expense of your people and you know i could remember my brother took it in stride and just kind of understood like that's that's what dad does he works for the people um and then in a, no better personal example for me is in my dad's last few years of life he was battling cancer and amongst my six myself and my other five siblings we would take turns rotating to sit with him at the hospital and and i it was my turn to to sit with him It was a Saturday, Sunday, and I decided to take Monday and Tuesday off to just spend a little extra time with him. Well, Monday morning rolled around, and I I was supposed to have been at work, but like I said, I took two days off, and he saw me sitting in the chair and he goes, What are you doing? And this is when I was administrative officer for the tribe. I said, Well, Dad, I said, I took a couple days off just to hang out with you. He goes, You hung out with me this weekend. You work for the people. You need to get home. And so my dad, but, and even you know, failing health with cancer. When my dad told me to get my butt on the road, I got my butt on the road and I headed back home to work and uh, and, and then worked for the people. And so really, I think those are the two biggest influences. Uh, personally, since I took this job, so many great influences in my life. Uh, you know, I've got the distinct honor and privilege to work with folks like from the Native Nations Institute and Joan Timichi and all the great folks there. I've got to know uh, Joe and Steve really well, Miriam Jorgensen, all those folks from both NNI and the Harvard Project, and then some just phenomenal tribal leaders who, when you hear their stories and how they transcend, it can really change your perspective in your life. And those are folks like uh, Frank Edowagishik from Michigan, uh, Mike Mitchell from Akwasasne, Rocky Barrett from Citizen Potawatomi down in Oklahoma, and so in my later career, those are the leaders that I've really looked to to help shape and form what we do at Native Governance Center and are new guides for me as I'm, you know, doing even on my personal journey and things I want to take, take uh, under, uh, undertake and, and, and do.
2: You talked about the, you know, the Harvard project and, you know, what, what it discovered and how did it go from that to the Native Governance Center you know, forming what inspired you know the creation of the Native Governance Center, um, yeah, and how did how did it get
0: created? Yeah, um, well, I think most folks know uh, this, this nation rebuilding work in this region was born of the Bush Foundation, and at the time, uh, another great mentor of mine, June Nerona, was working for Bush, and she had, I think, taken Joe's class at Harvard on nation rebuilding, and uh, June. Just something clicked for her. She brought it back to the foundation, said this is what, uh, you know, could potentially have a huge impact for Indian country. But then she worked about the idea of implementing it the correct way, because instead of from on high at the foundation level, dictating to tribal people, this is what we're going to do uh, under with June's leadership and support from the foundation. They went out and visited with Indian country and they asked the tribes that they worked with, you know, hey, here's this thing. That we've heard about, but what are the issues that you're facing, and how can we be of most help? And tribe the tribal leaders, some of them had heard about Native Nation rebuilding, so you know there was definitely a passion for that. But really, what came out of that first round of conversation with tribal leaders is a need to train the next generation of tribal leaders. And so, you know, this is uh, let's see, mid two thousands, you know, around two thousand seven, eight, nine these conversations are have are happening. And what the tribal leaders at the time were saying, you know, people, modern tribal leaders at that time understood from gaming forward, right? Uh, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act and its passage allowed for tribal tribes to uh, implement casino operations that gave us newfound resources that we ne- had never had before. And so that was oftentimes the focus on gaming and economic th- development was the focus of tribal leaders. And what the the older guard was saying, people need to understand. They need to understand back to history. They need to understand from pre-contact to first contact, through treaty making times, through Indian reorganization, up through termination uh, and self-determination before we finally got to gaming, right? There's this whole history and a whole pendulum with how Native people are treated in this country, right? So, um, and when our tribal leaders don't understand that history... Oftentimes, we're doomed to repeat some of the tougher situations in history. And so that's one of the things that overwhelmingly came out of this. And so the Bush Foundation then, in I believe 2009 and 10, launched the Rebuilders Program. So they'd had the Bush Fellowship for years. That was a highly successful leadership program. With the Native Nation Rebuilders Program, they shifted it a a little bit, right? It was specifically focused on Native folks and what skills can they build to help tribal to grow their own tribal leadership and help tribal leaders. And again, that's that was informed by direct conversation with the tribes. Um, and so that's kind of where our work was born. The Bush Foundation in those years also then expanded to do nation rebuilding projects, everything up and through constitution reform with tribal nations to executive education sessions. They ran a series of what they called governance analysis for native nations that saw them with mostly with the Native Nations Institute pop into tribal communities do this analysis of what issues that they're facing uh, and then help to lay some roadmaps for uh, how to move solutions forward. And if I, if it's okay to talk about the evolution of that work with us, then from that point on, what we saw really often in, you know, especially with me dipping back into the history and reading all this stuff, what had transpired is we would come in and we would create plans for tribes, but then there was no, technical assistance, there was no capacity for the tribes to execute those plans. So that's really where you're seeing Native Governance Center um, try to find ways to be good, become more on the ground, standing shoulder to shoulder with tribes to implement solutions. It, it it does a lot of good, don't get me wrong, to educate people, to provide them training, to help them even create a strategic plan. But oftentimes our tribes then fall back into systems where they don't have capacity. And so we really feel it's one of our missions to make sure that we can step in and help with that capacity building help with that technical assistance to get them from you know plan to execution um yeah so that's kind of the history of the work and how it came to be i have had the good fortune a really quick story um uh early on in my when i got to the tribal council i had a call from the bush foundation they're like hey uh, we're trying to design this thing. You kind of talked about it at the rebuilding region. How do we create an organization in, in our region to work with tribes? And so uh, I sat on the steering committee that actually had to form, that got to form Native Governance Center. So we looked at all these different uh, Native organization out out there, all these different models of work that was spun out of foundation. So uh, Tawaii Foundation, you know, how that spun out or the Indian on Tenure Foundation and how that spun out spun out of an organization. And so we did all this great work, uh, myself, Don Day, Karen Diver, Joel Kalt, um, shoot, I'm forgetting the other lady. Anyway, so we did all the strategizing and helped Bush think about it, and then they quit calling me. And I was like, yeah, typical foundation, they extracted all the knowledge from this Native person they can, and then they left me hanging and didn't call me back while... Well, I found out later the reason they didn't call me back is because my name had got put on a shortlist for consideration for the executive director. So then, you know, a couple of years later, I get a call from this uh, executive search firm that said, hey, Wayne, would you be interested in this thing Bush is doing? And they started explaining to me, I'm like, yeah, I'd be really interested. I kind of helped plan some of the stuff that that, you know, that's becoming. And so uh, anyway, that's how I got to NGC. Did you
1: say a couple of years later?
0: Yeah, I think I quit quit (laughs) advising in like 2000. Let's see. I got on the council in 2012. I was the vice chair. I was a part of the advisory committee 2013, a little into 14. And then I got the call in mid to late 2015 to see if I was interested in applying.
1: That would be strange to all of a sudden get a call about possibly being an executive director. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. I want to ask about success stories. It, this sounds like NGC does so much work. you know, Is there a success story with standing shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to shoulder with tribes, or maybe um, from the Rebuilder program? Is there a success story or an empowerment story that you that you can share?
0: Just one? Um, let me <laughs> let me rattle off a couple and you just like
1: do the yeah, virtual
0: shepherd stuff to stop me.
1: Well, I didn't know <laughs> um, you know if they're like confidential or something, <laughs> especially yeah. the tribal ones.
0: So <laughs> no, no, I would only, you'd only share like to share. Yeah. I'd only <laughs> share what I I could share. I think. And when I'm thinking about pre-Native Governance Center, right, the Bush Foundation, I'm a quote-unquote Bush Foundation Rebuilder. That's where I got my start. I was, I'm was i actually an alum of the program. So for what it's worth, I don't think I would be sitting in this chair had I not gone through the Rebuilders program. And so when I think about other success stories, there's so many, uh, even pre-NGC, like I think about... Lorraine Shepard Davis and the work she's doing in the Bismarck Mandan area, starting the Native American Development Corporation, a nonprofit organization focused in that uh, urban area to serve Native peoples. I think about Rebecca Crook Stratton, who's now the Secretary Treasurer at Shakopee, Minnetonka, who started a Montessori school with her journey as a Native Nation Rebuilder. I think about constitution reform efforts that have came and and started under uh, you know some some Rebuilder leadership. I think. Post NGC, a couple of things I'm most proud of are uh, one in particular is very early on in our work, before we even really had our our foundation firmly set with what NGC was going to be, uh, the Yankton Sioux tribe had reached out to us. And they reached out to us because a bunch of the Unchis or grandmothers in uh, Lakota had started coming to the tribal council. And this is me kind of playfully, maybe um exaggerating, but started kind of hitting the Council reps there about about the head and saying, you know what, <clears throat> we got to work on this enrollment criteria around blood quantum because our grandkids aren't able to be enrolled. And I think at the time, Yankton Sioux had a one quarter quant- blood quantum one eighth Yankton Sioux blood in order to be enrolled. And they reached out to our help. And without really having a set programming yet, because we were just kind of brand- so brand new to everything, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we were able to pull together an enrollment conference for them that brought in outside experts, uh, my favorite of which was bringing up Zeke Garcia from the Isleta del Sur Pueblo uh, down in uh, Texas to talk about Project tiwahu which was their uh, tribe's reimagining and reenvisioning of their tribal government, especially as it related to citizenship and what it meant to be Tigua for them. Uh, and the lessons that Yankton took from that were just amazing. And their then their hunger and their thirst for knowledge post that, right? So we ended up running this great enrollment conference for them. They began working on changing their enrollment criteria. We then took them down, uh, a tribal council representative and folks from the enrollment office to this Who Belongs conference that was run out of the University of Arizona Law School, talking about citizenship and enrollment. And they, they took all of that information and then really helped to effectuate a change around citizenship and enrollment at Yankton Sioux. So I think that's a very early on project I'm really proud of. Another project kind of across several different tribes I'm especially proud of is, uh, I think you both would probably be familiar, a few years back, the Minnesota Chippewa tribe started down this road for constitution reform. And so at the time, Tad Johnson from the University of Minnesota was on my board and they were looking for some help, an organization to be able to come in and really facilitate these conversations around constitution education across the bands of the MCT. And Tad's like, well, I know this organ. I know this guy, right? Native Governance Center and Wayne Duchesneau. And so we, we got a unanimous vote of the TEC to engage on this process around constitution education. And I can't tell you how equally exhilarating and terrifying that was for me because It was the very first time that number of tribes said, we're going to take a chance on Native Governance Center. And we were able to then uh, partner with the Native Nations Institute and put on a series of constitution education sessions on every reservation within the MCT and one urban meeting, giving people foundational understanding of what their constitution is and was, or is and could be. And it was really born this effort that is still ongoing now. I I don't, um, I know, a couple of years ago, just before the pandemic, there was a lot of momentum because each MCT tribe had uh, selected constitutional delegates, and they were working through this process. And I think COVID nineteen really slowed out slowed stuff down a lot. But it was really exciting to see that momentum that moved them from, you know, no one taking action to do constitutional reform up through now and engaging in a constitution delegation process, which I think is really exciting. Uh, when I think about individual rebuilders, one of my favorite people to talk about um, they're all awesome. Don't get me wrong, but it's Jamie Azure and Jamie Azure is the chairman of the turtle mountain band of Chippewa Indians in North Dakota. And Jamie tells the story better than me. So I'm going to try to do it justice. But, uh, in his email blast, because he was a tribal leader, he got an email from us talking about this tribal leader orientation training. We were doing in Fargo, North Dakota in January. Don't ask me why we picked January in Fargo. Um, it's really tough now because we, you know, I does January in Tucson, where you can go learn nation rebuilding in Tucson, Arizona. We thought, why not do it in Fargo in the middle of winter? And so uh, Jamie thought, you know, I got to go to Fargo anyway and pick up some things. I'll go check this thing out for a few hours. And he stopped in on the first day, sat through the first session and then didn't leave. He stayed for the entirety of it. And the story he tells is prior to that, Turtle Mountain has two-year terms where everybody's all elected at one time. Um, Prior to that, he had a two-year plan. He was going to come in and this is what he was going to accomplish in two years. And he was going to get this done. And then he'd work on the next two years. But after sitting through our our tribal leader orientation training, he understood that's not what this is about. And he went back home after that training, completely redid a two-year plan to a 10-year plan that included reaching out, talking to community and developing a vision for Turtle Mountain. And then he became a rebuilder. Um, so not only has, did he work with us on the tribal leader side of things, but then he came a, a Native Nation Rebuilder and he worked through and has now um, been able to implement Native Nation Rebuilding for the Turtle Mountain Band. And some of the initiatives he's helped led, he'll never take credit for because he's built a solid team. He works with his council really well, but every time he gets a chance, he gives credit to Native Governance Center for helping him put him on, on the path he is today. And, you know, we're just truly humbled and honored to be just a small part in his leadership development. And then one more individual rebuilder I talk about really quickly is uh, Levi Brown from Leech Lake. I don't know if either of you are familiar with Levi, Mm -hmm. but prior to becoming a rebuilder, um, he was the land and natural resources director for the Leech Lake Band. And he'd been for quite some time, just fresh out of college. He had that job um, and he'd been through all these years. He got to be a rebuilder. And he sat in that, through that, set, that first session and the thing that resonated with him was in order to do this, in order to set his tribal nation up for success, there had to be a huge education component and he had to take personal responsibility for training the next generation of leaders on Leech Lake. And so uh, he took a very bold step. He decided to leave his job and go work for the state so that the younger people behind him could step up into leadership roles. And then in his free time, which, I mean, he's got young kids. I don't know what free time he has. He developed a project called Leech Lake Civics, which teaches Anishinaabe uh, civic, civics, history, culture, specific to Leech Lake from before contact up through today. And in that project, he started small. He did all this research. What is, what is, what is indigenous civics to my tribe? He developed this program. He uh, worked it first through his local Indian community and then presented it to the tribal council. And his tribal council was so impressed that they have now mandated it as a required training for every new employee on onboarding and every existing employee, like within a two-year period, right? And, and then he wasn't ready for the success. I mean, he, he really handles it well for Leech Lake, but then he started getting calls from other tribes. Can you come do this for us? Can you come do this for us? And he said, you know, he's positioned really well to do Leech Lake because that's his home and that's what he knows. He's not in the same position to go to Red Lake or go to Boyce Fort or down to Prairie Island and do civics for them. And so then he reached out to us at Native Governance Center and said, hey, I caught some magic here. Would you all be willing to partner with me and try to figure this out? And so actually Native Governance Center just wrapped up phase phase one of our own tribal civics program heavily influenced and with a feedback from Levi. And so we have as an organization now partnered with the rebuilder on a project started and born of our program. And we're working a way to develop it and implement it across all 23 native nations. So our phase one is we are developing a how to do tribal civics manual. Phase two is we're going to partner with four tribal nations to implement that training for those tribal nations. And not only did Levi help us with that, but then we also reached back out to former rebuilders to help advise it. We reached out to Leslie Fountain from Turtle Mountain. Um, hey, that rank. We reached out to uh, Roger mm-hmm. Wydell from MHA Nation. We reached out to Rebecca Kirk Stratton from Shakopee Mdewakanton, and then we reached out to uh, Valentina Merdanyan from Oglala Sioux Tribe, Oglala Lakota Nation. And so, we've developed what we think is a very strong manual that we can give to tribal nations and they can implement at whatever level they want tribal civics. Do they want to, they could follow the same model Levi did and have it be training for tribal employees. It's also flexible enough that if they want to put it in K-12 education systems, there's steps you can take if they want to do it at a tribal college level or if they want to do it at a grassroots community level. We built this manual intentionally flexible to meet tribes where they're at and where they want to do the training so that they can then implement a successful tribal civics program. So those are
1: just a few. yeah. Oh, uh, wonderful. (laughs) Just a casual few right off the top of your head. That's amazing. Um, And I can't, I can imagine, you know, you have hundreds of, well, 200 rebuilders, you know, how much work is being done and credit to NGC, at least, Um, you know, I, I know a lot of rebuilders are very grateful for NGC. So Wayne... E. D. of N. G. C. We have so many acronyms. Um, yeah. <laughs> how? What have you learned about yourself, or discovered about yourself through your work at the Native Governance Center?
0: That's a great question. Um,
1: yeah.
0: I think one thing for sure I learned is something that has been a part of my leadership journey since I started at that hotel enterprise is make sure you're surrounding your people surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you and then just take credit for no just kidding um <laughs> make sure that you're hiring the best people to work for Indian country on behalf of Indian country right and so I'd like to think I'm humble enough to know that even with my broad experience within tribal governance and leadership I don't know everything and so making sure to bring people on board who have had different perspective, different experience has been really important for the success of Native Government Center. Uh, another thing I've learned is the power of relationships, right? And that's one of those things, uh, as you can tell from this interview, I'm a very talkative guy anyway. I'm very friendly by nature, but it's really important in this work, again, understanding we're a Native-led nonprofit, the nonprofit world isn't Native right? It's you're, you're existing in the system where you are recognized by the federal government as being tax-exempt, you're recognized by the state government as being chartered under their laws, um, and so you're in this non-Indigenous world. And so um, holding even closer and even tighter to Indigenous ideas and values has become important for me. And then also making sure that you're forming strong relationships, because um, it doesn't matter if it's earning and keeping the trust of a tribal leader, sitting down and talking with folks at the grassroots level, or engaging in conversations with people in the foundation world. If you're not building strong relationships, it can really hinder your success. And so I think so much of the work we do at Native Governance Center is based around one of our principles about being a good relative and being in good relation with each other. But that's something that's really drove home in the last six years. I wouldn't be in this organization, wouldn't be where we are today if we haven't and hadn't formed strong partnership and relationships with people from all of those different areas I talked about. Grassroots leaders, elected tribal leaders, um, other nonprofit organizations and foundations. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and that's years and years and years in the making among community and family, even friends, Mm -hmm. relatives, you know, all of that means mm-hmm. something um which is uh unique to indian country I think um at least it's incredible to see how much we value relationships um and how much we can get done or not really
0: rides on it so well, I think cool. yeah you kind of hit the nail on the head when I when I think about All of Indigenous values, whether it's the grandfather teachings of the Anishinaabe people, the Ojibwe people, or it's our Lakota values and virtues, when you boil them all down, right, to me, what's left is that being a good relative value. It is being a good relative to yourself. So, again, that self-care component, making sure that you're taking care of oneself, being a good relative to your family, to friends, to the community, wider community around you, Native and non-Native. And then being also being a good relative to, to Unchimaka, to Mother Earth, to, mother, to nature, um, you know, all of those values that we are as Indigenous people to me are embodied in a simple act of being a good relative. And so, again, I think that's, that goes without saying. And then the other thing I learned that i start starting to try to, to say more and more is there's a wisdom in indigeneity that is inherent to this land and in our DNA and in this land's DNA. And I think, as we as native people, as we are rediscovering our language, our culture, our values, where we're relearning and rebuilding, not only are we going to have the grow the capacity for us to take care of ourselves and heal ourselves, but those lessons, those are the same lessons that are going to heal this world. And I don't think I would be doing this job service if I didn't fundamentally believe that. And I believe that to my core. I believe the wisdom, the power, the strength of our people uh, is going to lead to the success of not only our nations, but our, our neighbors as well. 100%.
1: Marvel.
0: Thank you very much. Um, mm-hmm.
2: before, before we close out the interview, uh, I of want to end on, I was just curious. Uh, we, we saw that you're, uh, uh, self-proclaimed avid gamer, um, and uh, we are just curious about your gaming, you know, uh, what kind of gaming do you do? Is it, I, mean, I would assume it's, that's part of self-care, right? Is it gaming? Whether it is. It be video games or whatever. What do you, what do you, what do you got? What, what, any recent favorites or? Yeah,
0: I, I game on just about every platform imaginable from card tables to chess boards, to Nintendos, to my big old gaming PC rig I built uh, during the pandemic because, yeah, I needed a distraction. And, and I love playing poker or uh, or euchre. I love playing chess. is one of my favorite games of all time. Um, but I also play a lot of first-person shooters that now I'm older. I'm not nearly as uh, strong with my reflexes Are good. I can't tell you how many times it sounds mm-hmm. like an eight-year-old is telling me I just killed you. I just killed you in a game, right? Or um, but so I love games like that. I love strategy games like Civilization, I love sports games like Madden. So um hmm. there's not a game I won't try, honestly. Um, I used to be uh a very mediocre athlete in my younger years. So I have football, baseball, basketball, all those types of things too, as as well. Um and then this isn't gaming, but another thing that helps keep me sane is. At home here on our ranch. So I live on, like I said, on the Stroud River Indian Reservation on my family's ranch that we're now the fourth generation of us is running. And so um getting outside and riding a horse or getting outside and doing some post hole digging and, and setting of a, a post, you know, all that type of stuff. And I don't know, folks that grow up in that and that lifestyle, you make games of it. Like I can't tell you how many times uh the only thing my older brothers would have to do to get out of work is challenge me and my younger brother to see who could get something done first. And we would race to fix the fence or we would race to 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 clean the barn to just to try to impress our our brothers um, and getting it done first. And that was a bit of competition and and gaming as well. So yeah, it runs the gamut.
2: (laughs) Very good. Always good to hear. Um I'm definitely a video gamer too. So um I'm assuming you played Call of Duty Things like that. You said first-person shooter. Call of Duty, Call
0: of Duty <laughs> Halo, Apex Legends. Halo, yeah. yeah. Yeah, all of them. Yeah,
2: that's right, the Apex.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, the recent one for me is Elden Ring, which is a really tough third-person fantasy RPG game. I, um, maybe
0: check it out. Maybe I, I check it out. It. It's, it's pretty it. hard. You I do. have it. I have it. I played nine hours, and when the flying bugs kill me or the random guy riding by on the horse knocks you down in one shot. Like I had to give up that, that is not good for my mental health right now. That game, I hope to play it and learn it to where I can get it to be. But yeah, that's that one drives me crazy.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, um, thank you so much. Is, I guess, uh, is there final thoughts? Is there, you know, uh, where would people go to find out more? And uh, you know, if, even if they wanted to you know, apply for the Rebuilders program, like how do they find that?
0: Uh, well, before I get into the final thoughts and where you can find our work, I wanna thank both of you first from the bottom of my heart. I don't, some of the work that we've recently taken up at Native Governance Center through this special project we call We Are Still Here, in Minnesota is about native narrative. And having native people control our stories and be the ones that tell our stories and share our stories. And so, your podcast, which I've recently became a huge fan of, when I asked if it was a video podcast versus mm-hmm. an audio one, it's because I I, I listen to it on, on Spotify and like just put it on sure. when I'm sitting here at work or driving down the road. Yeah. And so, first and foremost, is to thank you all for lending this platform for people like me to be able to talk about uh, ourselves, our work, and Indian Country in general. Like uh, you're doing a great service to us all. And then to find out more about Native Governance Center, please visit www, do you even say that anymore? I don't know, nativegov.org. <laughs> um, and then we're on all the big social medias everywhere at NativeGov, that's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, there is talks of my staff forcing me to do Native Governance Center TikTok and do silly videos <laughs> on sovereignty <laughs> that could possibly yeah. be in the works, so yeah. but. Nativegov.org and social media everywhere at NativeGov.
1: Wonderful. Awesome. Miigwech, yeah, Wayne. Thank you for sharing your words, your perspective, and a hey. bit about your gaming. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, <is> again. <laughs> and I really, yeah, really appreciate your words, you know, about our show. We obviously wouldn't be a show if there weren't amazing people like you out there doing great work. So it goes both ways.
0: Definitely.
1: Great work and amazing listeners as well. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly.
2: That was great. Uh, one of the biggest things. Yeah, you keep going.
1: Yeah, I really liked what he talked about with, you know, supporting and nurturing yeah. our relationships and how much farther we can go together, I think that's just so wise. And to be able to practice it is something I need to remember Mm -hmm. every day. So, miigwech, Wayne Ducheneau, for that.
2: Thank you to Wayne Ducheneau, a Cheyenne River Sioux tribe citizen, who is the executive director of the Native Governance Center.
1: NGC is headquartered in St. Paul, And supports grassroots Native changemakers, elected tribal leaders, and 23 Native nations that share geography with Minnesota, Makoche, North Dakota, and South Dakota. I'm Cole Primo. I'm Leah Lem.
2: Miigwech for listening. Giga Wabamen.
1: Giga Wabamen. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.
2: If you want to hear more Native folks talking about their gifts and finding their purpose, search for Native Lights Where Indigenous Voices Shine wherever you find podcasts, and find all of Minnesota Native News' content at minnesotanativenews.org.